Please have an addendum. A spark or essence of the divine. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Houston Ensemble Podcast. This is episode number 79. 79. We got a special episode today. We got Ryan Scroggins back with us. You saw him on the last episode. We got Paul with us today, kind of the forward focus of the podcast today. We got Willie McCullen to my left. You've seen him on the podcast before. And we got myself. We'll also have Armin here in a little bit. We wanted to, after our podcast with Ryan last week, we were just talking about different stuff, different occult stuff, as you may have noticed. And we wanted to bring in Paul, one of Ryan's friends, because we brought up something about left-hand path ideals, and Paul might be an expert on that to an extent. And we wanted to to hear his perspective, see what's going on, and just learn more about it. So Paul, Ryan, Willie, thanks for being here today. Hey, how's it going? Uh, First things first, since... We don't know you yet, Paul. Uh-huh. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, and then we'll get into the meat. Sure. Well, my name's uh, Paul Frederick. Um, gosh, where do where do you begin? So um, I uh, I write books. Mm. I write books. I recently published a book called The uh, Nabu Generator, a Phaeronic system of wealth creation, which is Whoa. basically looking at um, Egyptian mythology. Um, right, yeah, Egyptian mythology um, applied to uh, questions like personal finance and economics and, mm. and, and stuff like that. Um, uh, I've done music. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do a project called Asmodeus X. Whoa. which did um, industrial, dark industrial EBM type music. Here in the Houston area, we used to do a lot of shows in the, in the 2000s at uh, you know, Numbers and, and, nice. and places like that. Um, and I, I kind of got out of music for a while and set that aside, but I kind of been getting back into it a little more the last decade or so um, in an in a, in a acoustic kind of way, acoustic guitar and stuff like that. So, um, I, since I guess since a very young age, always had questions um, about things, about the world, what life is all about, and stuff like that. And the family that I came from, it's a combination of, uh, and, and this is in Missouri, is where I was kind of like grew up when I was like very young. And, um, you know, there's a combination of uh, uh, Baptists, and uh, my my father was a kind of an existentialist, but a lot of Baptists in the family. So I kind of had this weird mix of, uh, you know, there's religi- religiosity around, and we'd go to church like on you know special occasions or when we were visiting relatives and stuff like that. But other than that, um, my father always encouraged me to ask questions about things and have an inquiring mind, and that's sort of been. Um, a guiding focus for me. And I felt from a very early time that the traditional um, religious systems and the traditional ways of explaining the world um, were lacking in that many of the people involved with them themselves 
did not really know or understand the full technology of it or didn't really want to go that far to explain, you know, what what is the meaning of life really, you know? And, you know, there's those basic questions that I think everyone has. Like, you know, if God is so good and loving, then why does he allow evil to exist? Mm-hmm. And, you know, can God create something that's so heavy that he can't lift it? And, and you ask questions like this when you're young and 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 the response that you get is, well— you know, you got to have faith in Jesus and stop asking those questions, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, <laughs> stop asking those You're questions. You're not supposed to ask those questions. Right, right. You're not supposed to ask those <laughs> questions. So um, so for, so I've always been, and, and maybe it's because I'm Generation X too, but, you know, I've just always been like, you know, kind of moved towards the hidden, the forbidden, um, you know, punk rock music in the 80s, you know, and, 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 Goth and all of that kind of stuff um, was where I went with things. And um, so, so ideas that were left-hand path, you know, appealed to me. Um, and I always, um, you know, was interested in those things and, and, and pursuing these ideas and trying to learn more about it. Um, I was interested in, in the ideas that were coming from the, the uh, you know, Church of Satan, um, in the eighties and, 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 and then Setianism. Um, and I think to get back to your, to, to, to kind of drill into the question that you asked about the left-hand path, specifically what that means. This is something Ryan and I've talked about, um, talked about a lot in the past. Um, I think the best, um, explanation for it to kind of explain where I'm coming from um, is in a book called Lords of the Left-Hand Path, mm. which is written by a guy named Stephen Flowers, who is a, a fellow Texan um, who I you know, highly recommend uh, that book on the subject. He, he defines the left-hand path as being essentially, um, he, he enumerates several qualities like self-deification, individualism, Mm -hmm. initiation, and magic. Mm -hmm. And then he also talks about another quality uh, that may or may not be part of the left-hand path, depending on the circumstances, and that's antinomianism, which is like a sense of uh, that people who are involved with it feel that they are going against the grain of culture. So we're talking about um, these qualities of the left-hand path, um, which I think resonate it would resonate with a lot of people. Um, the idea of self-deification is kind of the idea that um, all individual human beings have within them a spark or essence of the divine, of of uh, of a. You know what? What is above this? Above us? Whether you consider that a, a, a creator, um, and ultimately, I do think that there is a creator. I think there is something about the nature and structure of the human psyche um, that 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 indicates that we were designed for um, sovereignty. We were designed to be sovereign, self-governing beings. Um, but for some reason, something has happened and we kind of like, you know, got off track 
as as far as that goes as civilization and and i don't mean us here right now so much as like thousands of years ago like mm-hmm. this happened and 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 uh, all of the wars <clears throat> and brutality you know and and coercion that that humanity has gone through um is the result of a misunderstanding or a misapprehension or a um uh derailment of of this this quality um that that is in mankind um and then the idea of an initiation um which we talk about a lot um to me that means the idea that um the other thing that we're designed for is the possibility of of transforming and and growing ourselves right mm-hmm. so so yeah, in a sense of like self-improvement, but there's some other sense of beyond that. There's some other sense of like of, of growth that we're supposed to go through that um, probably way back a long time ago, humans went through this naturally, like kind of like we go through puberty, like naturally and go through this like sort of physiological change. And I think there's this other kind of change that we um, can go through also in life. But such as the way things are, we have to make special efforts to get to that kind of thing. Um, and then the idea of magic, um, and I think uh, Alistair Crowley like, made the, 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 the most famous definition of magic as being the art and science of causing change to occur in conformity with will or in concert with will or mm-hmm. in harmony with will. And this goes back to the idea that we are all um, that we're individual beings and that we also have free will and we are able to change things in our environment for our better, you know, um, to, you know, there's, you know, you got your Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, your basic food needs. And then, um, and then that, uh, sort of inner, uh, wish that we all have to, um, to uh, really experience reality um, to its fullest and to get the most to get the most out of it. So, in Doctor Flower's book, um, Lords of the Left Hand Path, he takes these basic qualities and he goes and he sort of studies all these different religions and cultural movements and stuff. Um, you know, since since the beginning of time with that question of, is this left-hand path? Because the opposite of that, of the, how he defines left-hand path, the way he kind of looks at right-hand path is um, a system of um, systems that are based more on conformity, coercion, collectivism, um, you know, that, that sort of thing. So, he, so then he goes and he you know, examines all of these like different, you know, um, religions and systems and stuff like that. And what is interesting is that most of them say like Christianity, let's say, you know, say Christianity, Islam and, and Buddhism or something like that would probably, you know, with, with this criteria initially say, oh, well, it's, it's right-hand path on the surface. But then when you get into the origins of it, like what the original teachers these systems were saying, you start to see, well, no, actually, 
it looks like they were talking about individualism. Oh, wait, this Jesus guy, he actually said, you know, the kingdom of heaven is within you. That kind of sounds like, wait, that's the idea of the spark of the divine being in me inherently. So what's interesting is that you see a lot of these systems, the way we're looking at left-hand path now, they essentially were at some time. At, at some point, most ways or systems were what we call left-hand path. But again, something happened and they got off track with that. And I don't know, that's, that's, a, that's a big question about what happened to everything. How did everything get so fucked up, right? So maybe it's just because once there's a structure there, you know, people just can't resist. Oh, well, let's just come in and like we can, you know, use this to control people or whatever. Or it gets <clears throat> make involved, money. It gets politicized. Yeah, it gets involved with politics and money and, 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 and warfare and all of this other stuff. And it turns into something else. But, I mean, that's why... You know, the, the, the seed of it is still in there. The seed of it is all still in, in there. So um, I guess all that to say is that um, what is meant by the term left-hand path might mean for me a very intense personal kind of pursuit. But ultimately, underneath it all, I think there's all just there's just one real way right mm -hmm. you know like in Taoism, you know has this term Tao, which just means way well there's just a way yeah mm -hmm. there's just a way or else there's not in the last podcast i don't know if you saw it we were talking about the right hand path and the left hand path meet at the top of the same tree and it's like that saying you know all paths lead to the top of the same mountain you know right yeah when i heard your definition may i ask a question uh -huh. When I heard your definition, I instantly thought of that video that went viral a long time ago where they put together hundreds of screens of news anchors <clears throat> across America, different states, different towns, saying the exact same thing. And they were doing this. Yeah. And, and, then, and I think, yeah, it's creating or causing things to happen through will. And so when I see this really aggressive imposition of ideas and ideologies upon the people through a variety of vectors, my light bulb goes off and, it's, and it thinks, these people are doing magic on us. They're, they're whatever you want to call it. That's a spell. It's, they're, yes, they're spell casting, but constantly, aggressively. What are your thoughts on that? So, uh, yeah. Um, no, that is, I mean, that is like, that is magic of a kind. Um, so in terms of the definition of those things that, that I was just laying out, that would be considered white magic. That would be considered, because it's magic that's just meant to, to that's magic meant to obliterate the individual is meant to obliterate individual free thought, right? And that's called white magic. So I would, right. So from that, from that point of view, it's meant to create a herd. It's meant to, you know, like a collection, like a one mind 
rather exactly than like a hive mind. It's like mm. group, like groupthink, groupthink. Um, in, in relation to that definition of left hand path, that that's that's what why that would be considered um, right hand path or or white magic. And so this definition is coming out from the understanding. This this idea of left hand path is something that has evolved from ideas like starting with. Um, you know, like Anton LaVey in the 60s, and Michael Aquino in the 70s, and uh, thinkers like this, you know, along the way. I mean, there's a lot more people, you know, obviously that were in, in, involved with these ideas, right? Um, so that, so coming from that headspace, that would be the, the definition of that. That's how I would see that. I would, see, I would call that, you know, for us to have a conversation about our values mm-hmm. and about what we think truth is, we don't have to necessarily agree on terms like right-hand path and left-hand path, right? We can both, we can all agree that something like that, that you were describing, well, that's evil, right? There's something fucking wrong with that. Mm-hmm. It's not going to do any good for anybody, right? Um, and And that is what, um, as human beings that we connect on is those values. There's something about the world, about the nature of reality that we live in that is impermanent and that is in flux and that is subject to these, to these things. <clears throat> like like in, in Buddhism, they call it maya. And um, Zoroastrianism, they call it the druge. Or the lie, right? This is part of reality that's like, that's like fickle, right? Um, and, and we all, because of that, the words that we use um, to get through life could sometimes change, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of like what I might talk to you about as far as, left-hand path or what the word Satanism means and stuff like that. Well, I'm coming from a time period with that. That might not be how, you know, someone, you know, who's 22 and, and, and into Satanism might have a completely different idea about, yeah, about it's that all stuff. perspective. Right. Right. And <clears throat> I can't vouch for them. You know, I can't vouch for what someone else like thinks, thinks about these ideas. All I can say that some of these ideas were, were tools that helped me get to a point of being able to reach a little bit closer to um, the truth or to being, being able to maybe catch a glimpse of that or be able to talk about it or be able to articulate my questions about truth a little more um, accurately. Somebody who's watching this might not be well-versed in all this stuff and they might maybe their surface level knowledge will say oh i've heard of left hand path i know that left in latin is sinister sinister um that doesn't sound good to me i think paul's an evil guy i'm not saying that <laughs> somebody will think that what is your defense to that person maybe to shed a little light on that it's not in your perspective, necessarily an evil thing, the left-hand path? Well, 
So I think uh, that word sinister, it means like left field, I believe. We might have to wiki that. We might have to like look that up. Sinister, I want to say that it means specifically left. It's part of the Latin. Literally Latin sinister uh-huh. means left. Okay. So, <laughs> and I believe that where that word comes from is that people who were left-handed mm-hmm. were considered evil right. in medieval times and would be, I don't know, put in the stocks or burned at the stake or something. Um, but of course, nowadays, we know that that is, <clears throat> is not true. So, so my challenge really with that would be um, that if someone said that, they would need to define what they mean by evil, mm-hmm. right? And if someone is defining evil just based on someone being left-handed or someone wearing black or because of how they look or the kind of music they like or some completely you know, inconsequential, superficial thing like that, I would say that that person needs to think about um, their, their definition of evil. Because to me, evil... Um, is has to do with coercion. Mm-hmm. It has to do with force, right? To yeah. force or coerce or harm anyone, uh, any other you know uh, human being against their will. To me, that is that is evil. Um, and and to like in your example, Armin, to co- you know co- coercion through propaganda, um, mass propaganda goes under that that heading um, as well. And, and, and those are my values, you know, um, I, I, and I believe that's evil because I believe, um, that the, uh, individual is sovereign. I believe that we come in, into the world and, and designed to be, you know, individual sovereign beings, um, to live in harmony with each other and, and nature and to have, have pleasure, right? We have this all these special capacities in us as human beings, extra in, intense capacities within us to, um, to experience pleasure and to um, experience reality. And I'm sure you guys are aware that, you know, the brain, the human brain, we only use like 10% of it or something like that, 10% of the capacity, but we're designed with, to be able to do like so much more. And so that's where... To me, the idea of uh, yeah, the idea of initiation or self initiation comes comes into play there. I have a question about that. I have a question about that huge untapped human potential. Mm-hmm. Why it's like that, and what I can do to understand more about it. And and I believe that in cultivating ourselves in this manner, cultivating myself in that manner, um, that's really the best thing you can do for, for humanity. Mm-hmm. You know, Working on yourself. Right, exactly. Um, rational self-interest and uh, personal responsibility. So some, something else that I've really, uh, really 
resonated with really strongly is uh, Zoroastrianism. And this goes back, this goes back to Stephen Flowers also. Um, he he <clears throat> did, a, did a lot of research on this. He uh, published a book a few years ago called The Good Religion, which is a, a review of uh, Zoroastrianism. Mm. But Zoroastrianism is one of the few religions that has this idea of a pre-soul, of a pre-existence before you come into this world. Now, I think that used to be in Christianity, and I think you can find little hints of that in, in, in bits and pieces of it and, and other systems. And, and, and like in the Eastern stuff, obviously there's like reincarnation. There's this idea of coming back and coming back and coming back. But in um, Zoroastrianism, the idea is you're you you're basically you in a pre-soul state before you come to planet Earth, right? You're like in the in the you know the bosom of the you know cosmic you know mother father type thing, and you know you could stay there forever. You just have you're just really enjoying things there, but you start to get this awareness mm. that somewhere out there there's something wrong there's some kind of injustice that's happening out there some kind of some kind of evil out there right and and and, and you get this realization that um if if you don't do something about it it's going to grow and so you make a decision to be born into this world in order to help the creator <coughs> fight against this Thing, the druge, right? Mm. To uh, struggle against that, the you know, principle of anger, the angry mind, angry mind. You, it's a principle of uh, of um, of uh, coercion and 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 all of these things. So, what it means is that all of us, and that's everyone in the world, has gone through that. Everyone who's here right now. Everyone who's here right now made a conscious decision to be here. That means it's part of our nature that we're responsible for our own existence. Right? So no one has the right to say, oh, I've been dealt such a bad, you know, the world sucks and, and you know, all of that. Mm. And it's not my fault. And someone, you know, you know, needs to fix this for me. No, I came here to fix things. I'm the one who came here to fix things. And if, if that is the basis of your existence, then, then it's a different, a, it's a different ball game. Mm -hmm. Do you believe, I'm so sorry. I know that we're going to have a lot of voices real quick. Do you believe that karma plays a role in that? Karma. Or is that somebody else's perspective that's, you know, that's been influenced, I guess to you, does karma play a role in that? especially when it comes to the hand that you're dealt? So um, I've heard discussions of karma, karma yoga. Like I believe that this, I believe the idea comes from this school of, of you know, there's different types of yogas other than just the, you know, sit on the ground. And, other than you know, hot. Right. And like karma yoga, I want to say is a yoga of uh, observation, 
of the laws of the universe and our interactions with the universe. And I mean, it's, hey, it's Newton's first law. Every action has an equal and opposite reaction. So, so that's why you have, you know, uh, Swansea and the Taoists and stuff saying, you know, be, you know, actually be really careful. Actually, you know, maybe don't, you know, um, knock the bug. Right, right. Be, be actually really careful before you, you mm-hmm. know, open your mouth, you know, um, before you uh, get involved and start pushing things around and stuff like that. Because, I mean, I mean, I think that there's some truth to that uh, equal and opposite. Mm. reaction i mean people set things in motion all the time with with things they do what are the natural laws what are the natural laws that's a big question <laughs> i don't know if i i don't know if i know the answer to that <laughs> okay but hold on let me i do want to say that is what we're talking about right now is very similar to what we were talking about in the last podcast where we were talking about like, you know, you got to be careful when you're judging other people because I go back to that quote, there's nothing wrong with the playground equipment. Like everything is exactly as it should be and everyone is where they're at because they're there to learn their own personal lessons. So you can equate that to karma or whatever, but it's like if you mess up in this lifetime, in my belief, you're going to come back and go through that same lesson again. It's, you know, like I was saying, like physical reality is a test of the soul, in my opinion. Yeah. We're here to to go through these tests, but also to enjoy it. Like how you were saying that, so the belief of us, like, how are you saying it? Pre-spirit? The pre-soul. Pre-soul. So that's like a Atlantean slash Lemurian belief, too. And they, and they say the same thing, but they also say, you know, it's it's... We're attracted to this physical reality because for incarnation because not only do we want to make things right and help people out, but we also want to enjoy the beauty of what it actually is to be here and and living in a physical reality. Whether it's through art or music or nature or you know, we don't have that outside of the physical reality. Mm-hmm. The reason I asked what are natural laws, because I find that in esoterica there is the study of of properties of reality that we observe to be true, but they are self-evident. They're not, you don't necessarily have to measure them or even prove that they exist for them to be there. So, for example, in my opinion, it is self-evident that there is a gendered nature to the universe. The feminine and masculine principle is in everything. But the best way to look at it is obviously through the man and woman. I think that the man and woman were perfectly designed for each other, like perfectly. And there's chaos in that perfection too, but that's part of the perfection. And so that is what I would think of a natural law or free will. There appears to be something in this universe that says if you mess with free will, you get weird consequences. Whereas if you give people out of free will, their natural timeline and outcome is going to occur. And that's kind of the better way for things to progress. So this is another question I have is, what do we know about archons? What are they? 
How did they get here and what are they doing? Archons. And uh, that's uh, Gnosticism yes. and, and stuff. Okay. So I can talk about that a little bit. And let me say first, though, I, I, I agree with those things that you said are natural laws. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I, I tend to think, because I, I will have to admit that the, the cosmos is a really fucking big place. There's no way I know everything that's going on in it. But I tend to um, subscribe to the model that there's an ascending and descending current in the in in all of the cosmos that runs from all of you know great creation through all of the stars and 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 the sun and everything and the planets and down down to Earth, and this is part of what um, you know what the ancient uh, Tao is called the yin and yang, and these currents run through all organic life, creating you know dual dual natures. It creates a part of my nature that that has a gravitational sort of want to go back down to the earth, but also I have a part of me that wants to rise up to whatever whatever is above, and it also creates male and female in all uh, organic things, like you said, with chaos in there. Um, male and female organisms that must connect with each other in order to produce, reproduce more organic life. And also within me as, an org- or, as a single organism, a male and female nature in me, which also has like, um, it, it, it has some need to unite for an inner, um, inner rebirth of, of, of some kind. Um, the idea of archons, one way of looking at this is, um, we were just talking about this idea of the pre-soul and you can see, you can see really, uh, easily that while this idea kind of turned into, uh, angels in, in Christianity, Right. It's all of the spiritual beings that are up around the the absolute creator. Um, And then there's this idea. But you see, the thing is, once you think that, then you realize, well, that mean, does that mean that as they descend into matter, they become human beings? So we were basically angels. Does that mean we're angels later? This is one of the questions I always had when I was a kid to the Baptists and, 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 and stuff around me. It's like when people die. Also, they're like, they're like angels. No, 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 no. No, he's with the angels now, Paul. He's not an angel, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? <clears throat> so there's something, there was something forbidden about thinking in such a way. Well, that's funny. I was about to say, if you were an enlightened Christian, the obvious answer would be yes. Right. <laughs> so... Um, so there's this idea of, of, of beings descending in, in, into matter and for a reason, because they have to do that in order to become really, I don't know, really conscious or really alive or something like that. They have to experience some part of that, that chaos that's part of this world down here that didn't really exist up in the pure, absolute, pure realm of forms, right? Um, 
they they need to go through that in order to become pure individuals or something. I don't I don't I don't I don't fully understand it. Um, but so I wrote this book a little while back called Daemonosophy. That's the name of my podcast too, Daemonosophy. Um, and I kind of intended this as a map to go two different ways that in one way it goes to the past and this idea that there was higher beings like maybe archons or something like that, or maybe titans or, you know, giants or, you know, there's different, all kinds of different ideas. Most cultures have this idea though, that before we were here, there was some other like, uh, um, race of beings that were somehow more enlightened than us. And that's where we got the idea for how to build pyramids or, and, 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 and stuff like that. Um, so you go one direction with that. And then the way into the future with, with daemonosophy was the idea of the, the daimon, which is in Greek, in the Greeks called the daimon is the part of our individual consciousness that is higher, that already knows all of this stuff. Actually, it's the part of me that descended already down in here. But in coming into the world here, you get kind of separated from it. So in one sense, that is the aim of initiation. And uh, another <clears throat> initiate came out of the Golden Dawn, yep. named Alistair Crowley, talked about this in terms of the Holy Guardian Angel, um, to, to represent that idea also, that that is the aim of initiation and self-improvement and everything like that, is to reconnect with that higher part of myself, which is, it's, it's an angel. I mean, you can think of it that way. Whatever it is, it's beyond our understanding, but, you know, you just, there's something, there's something there. And I want to try and, like, reach out to it. We had mentioned a second, or a little bit ago that, you, you said it seemed that the right-hand path was sort of a collective hive mind, something along those lines. But would you say that when somebody is in either pre-soul form or post-mortem form, make a soul form, that that is a collective consciousness? Or do you think that it would also still be somewhat separate in that? I think it's separate. Okay. Um, I, I, I think that's, that's the nature of it. And so there's a lot of, um, a lot of literature that talks about, you know, the, the soul will merge, merge with the all or merge with, uh, the, right. the collective thing, you know, um, um, I know uh, Buddhism, Buddhism talks about that a lot. Um, and I personally don't believe that. Well, let's say, let me, let me back that up. I'll back that up. I'm going to say, I'm not going to say I don't believe, belief is just too committed of a word about something that we're not all, yeah. all going through, but it's like my, my, uh, feeling about the nature of consciousness my experience of consciousness, like I said, I feel it's designed in this way for a particular, for a particular reason, right? And that um, 
the the after this life stuff, you know, whatever that whatever that may be, I I believe that it involves a continuance of of individual existence. It's not going to be anything like you know this. I don't think you know, but but that that's that's how I tend to look at it. Um, I, I tend to think because my, the question that I always have about that is like, well, if my individuality is like, you know, join the hive mind and I'm obliterated, then what's the point? That's just yeah, like, that's, 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 the, that's the same as atheism to me. That's well, I'll just shoot myself in the head or just wait till I die and then I'll be part of the hive mind. No reason at all to go through all of this, you know, trying to learn things or improve myself or practicing yoga or meditation or anything like that, you know. Um, how would how would a collective conscious idea when it comes to something like Jung's idea of a collective conscious or a, a web or synchronistic experiences, how would that relate to this? Well, uh Jung talked about that idea of the collective uh, collective un- unconscious is a yeah, part of his unconscious, unconscious mind. Collective unconscious, and I think he talks about that as being like a past, right? There's like a and and he, I think, equates it with DNA. He talks about it as part of our D- part of our DNA genetic inheritance that like there's a little bit of memory. So it's literally more material based. Uh, yeah, I mm-hmm. think so. Mm-hmm. I think so, and I'm and and I'm more material based too. That's another thing uh, I'll 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 say here is that um, I I I'm a materialist, um, and there's actually a lot of like uh, a lot of these systems of the past were basically materialist. Um, the idea of there being a being material things and non-material things pretty much comes from Plato. Um, and his idea of the forms and the cave allegory, um, which I don't know, we don't we don't need to talk about Plato now because you're that'll make everyone change a channel just immediately, you know. Um, but you know, then there's then there's these guys, the uh, the Neoplatonists who came came back and like they um, equated, they took Plato's ideas and 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 wove it into Christianity. And the thing about there being non-material things like that. Then you don't really have to like worry about proving the existence of it. You can say, well, if you can imagine it in your mind, then oh, it's just as real. So, um, I mean, Plato had really specific ideas about this, but but uh, I think that opens the door to. Uh, I have found personally that that opens the door to a lot of different um, places where um, well, that that we don't need to go to. Um, but I, I, I believe that the universe is comprised of material things and there are, um, however, there's, there's gradations of materiality, right? So, I mean, this is all physical. I do believe there is a couch here, you know, and, 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 you know, there's some equipment around me and we're sitting in a room and everything like that. Um, but then there's like, you know, there's, there's liquids, it's another gradation, there's fields and, and all this kind of stuff. So I, I tend to think that whatever survives of us after the expiration of the planetary body, um, is, is a substance. There's a substance to Mm -hmm. it. Also material, but just maybe invisible. 
sure. per se. I mean, you guys are musicians, right? So, I mean, and every, I mean, everyone knows this. We, there's this whole world of like sound and vibration. Yeah. Is that material? Well, it kind of is, but not in the sense of, you know, not in the sense of uh, my physical body, mm-hmm. but it's a whole world that exists um, within that realm. And that has to do with like, like gradations and stuff like that. That's all still, we don't say, oh, oh, well, sound and music, that's just in the non-material world. And it, you know, you know we, don't, we haven't concocted some special world for it to, to exist in. Electricity. Electricity, yeah. There's a really whimsical nature to this world because think about it. Think about being a human who's in a sandbox, that's Earth, and then they have an imagination and they think to themselves, well, I'm going to build a container. I'm going to bring a container. We fix it in post. A container that can get me from my land to that land over there, but there's water between there. But so, take the time out of the equation. You just manifest. You just manifested your imagination. But moreover, all the material for you to make the thing that you thought that you were just creating out of thin air was just already there for you. So what you did is you happened to stumble upon a Lego box. And you think, oh my God, these Legos, I can build anything. But it's actually, it has already been created for you. So that's very weird to think about. But also I see that by reverse engineering what the elite power structure does to us using magic, we can kind of understand what is most valuable to them. And by extension, what might be most valuable to humanity. So notice how they are messing Mm -hmm. with... For one thing they mess with is gender, the understanding of gender, what it means to us. Mm. Another thing they mess with is agriculture and how that helps us in many ways cognitively, not just nourishing us, but how it helps the civilization go up. And upon all the other things that they mess with. So canceled. Uh, yeah. <laughs> My question would be is I I feel as though you see these strategies being used from that other side. And so what can we do as humans to become more aware of that and kind of defend ourselves against that? So, and what would you do? Okay. What are you doing? Okay. Mm. So the classical image of the magician, the black magician, is, you know, John D. or, you know, medieval practitioner alone in his, in his, you know, salon, his, his salon or his basement <laughs> or whatever, it, it, you know, you know, doing these things uh, on his own. It's always been a path of, of, of solitude. It's always indicated mm-hmm. that sense of solitude. Um, there's there's uh, this, the story of the prison allegory that uh, Gurdjieff uh, is another uh, thinker that I'm, I'm, I'm very interested in. He talked about this prison allegory. 
that man's situation in this world is such that he is in prison. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then the, the first step is waking up to that, right? And once you realize that you're in prison, if you're a rational person, you can't hope for anything but to escape it. But you realize really quickly that you can't escape by yourself because you're in a prison. You need to you need to make plans. You need to like you know figure out when you know you need to get tools and stuff like that. So you need to find the others who who realize that they're in prison. Mm. The few, and it's always the few. It's never everyone escapes from prison. That never happens. It's not everyone. It's the way those those laws you were talking about. That's a natural law right there. That really, it's only a few that 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 can escape. Um. So, and, and you know, Timothy Leary said this too. And they, they asked Timothy Leary, "Oh, I've I've woken up. You know, you do the eight circuit model of the brain. I've I've woken up, and what do I do now?" And Timothy Leary said, "Find the others." You know, find the others. Mm. Well, the Matrix, the Matrix, that movie, The Matrix, is a great, just, just amazing. That film came out, just this perfect metaphor for that. And what that means is that I have to work on myself first, and I have to find the others right. who 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 realize that too. I can't convince others of it. You can't go around, hey, you're in prison. Everyone, you're in prison. They'll think you're crazy, and then they'll mm-hmm. lock you up in a deeper in a deeper cell of the. Penitentiary. But. The movie Dark City right before that. Right Dark before City, that. yeah. Very good. They used a lot of the same sets. Yeah. Yeah, the, yeah. yeah that's right. How yeah. do you guys feel about astrology? Does that hold any weight in um, any, anything you believe in? Yeah, so for sure. Um, <clears throat> I can't speak for Paul personally, but I think it's similar. And uh, so in the Golden Dawn tradition... I'll go through this as quick as possible because it's kind of long, but like how Paul was talking about, you know, uh, knowledge and conversation with the Holy Guardian Angel or connecting to your daemon. Basically, Golden Dawn magic is high magic that's for spiritual evolution, and especially in the particular branch that I belong to, which is the Rosicrucian Order of Alpha and Omega, we go through a system to where it's... uh, I'll have to kind of explain this in the grade system for it to make sense, but I can go through it quickly. Basically, when you're a neophyte, you're not. You're the the grade system is based off of the Kabbalistic tree of life, but you're not on the tree. I think we talked about this in past podcasts. But basically, once you kind of get into the system, uh, you go through the elemental grades, and those elemental grades contain the triplicities of the zodiac corresponding to that element. So, for example, um, in the earth grade, you would first off start invoking the element of earth once a week for two months. Then you would invoke uh, Capricorn once a week for two months, then Taurus once a week for two months, then uh, Virgo once a week for two months. And then, yeah, yeah. And then in in the higher grades, you start incorporating a planet at the end. Um, But the idea for doing this is that it's the whole solvayet coagula thing that we were talking about it's it's spiritual alchemy because basically what you're doing you know because the theory is kind of like because we're born in this physical world 
and we have a birthday and and an astrological chart that corresponds to us and kind of makes us who we are as our spiritual makeup through doing these invocations. Basically, what you're doing is you're taking, within the neophyte initiation of the Golden Dawn, you're kind of creating a clean slate, and you are the vessel. So when you start going through the grade work, what you're doing is you're reincorporating everything, the elements, the zodiac, the planets, and eventually the sephiroth, back into your sphere of sensation to become a completely equilibrated human being. Um, And then once you've done that, that's when you can start the work of approaching your holy guardian angel. And then the idea becomes, you know, once you have attained knowledge and conversation with your holy guardian angel, you can cultivate what they call the solar body or the rainbow body in the east, where you can transcend death and break the wheel of incarnation. So in short, that's the goal of most of the hardcore Western mystery schools and the Eastern. And then another thing that I wanted to say to that, I've probably said it on the podcast before, but one of my friends, especially when he was deeply in his atheistic, ultra-materialistic phase, he mentioned something about astrology and he said, I guess from a materialistic perspective, one thing that makes sense is that we are an amalgamation of matter from the universe. Stardust. One at, exactly. That's exactly what he said. He said, technically, I guess we're stardust. So why wouldn't that have some sort of dynamic effect upon our body based upon when we were born, when everything's aligning in that moment? I thought, and I never had a problem with astrology. Personally, I'm definitely uh, into it, but... Um, explaining it to somebody who is very against it, I think that's a good way to go well, when, yeah. you're, when you're dealing well, with Well, the that. hermetic axiom of as above, so below, that's what that is. You know, right. The solar system is within you. The kingdom of heaven is within you. You know, and one thing I wanted to say, when you said that we're trapped in a prison, there was one time when I had this very... I had already known this to an extent, but at the same time in this moment, in a certain state that I was in, I was outside and I looked down and I jumped and I was like, oh man, I am stuck here. (laughs) (laughs) And it freaked me out because I was, I was out of there in the moment and I was looking up and I was like, oh God, man, this is trippy because I'm like, now I'm feeling really boxed in. But whatever, I got over that. That was just <laughs> that's, in a moment. That's, that's beautiful, though, because self-realization like that causes change. Yeah, and then I think feeling that, which obviously has stayed with me forever at this point, feeling that, and then it leads me into other places where I'm walking around at night or I'm watching the Perseid meteor shower on a mountain like a couple weeks ago, which is super cool. And because of where we were in Washington, we could see the stars perfectly, no light pollution, and a new moon at 4% during the meteor shower. So everything was totally crystal clear. But I said to my girlfriend, I was like, I don't walk around every day truly believing that the stars are what they are or as what I've been told they are. I understand that there are these luminous bodies above me that are moving and have a certain thing, and that's great, and I'm down with that. But I personally can't tell you 100% that those are bodies of gas or lava or whatever they are just because somebody said they are. And well, in this dimension, 
Yeah. Right. But, you know, yeah, Earth ultimately level. I believe in I believe all of that stuff is populated in other dimensions. I would hope so. But I I guess the the point of what I'm getting at is I try to not hold anything too deeply in a belief. The only thing that I know is that I don't know to some extent or Terence McKenna said if you believe in anything 100% that automatically precludes you from believing its opposite. Yeah. Which time and t- time and time again we we say one thing, we say germs aren't real. However long later we're like germs are there. Okay, that's yeah. doing that. Later, later we say stick this in your arm, you're good to go, you won't get sick. Later on we're like definitely not true. <laughs> yep. Why is everybody testing positive right now who has it? Yes. So I don't know. <laughs> I'm just saying for me it's like a I'm not going to limit myself for sure like I won't I won't do this in an irrational manner but at the same time I kind of need to see in order to believe. It's almost like um a solipsistic sort of thing where the only thing that's real is just your perspective well, to add to that isn't you could say you're being solipsistic but it's not even that it's that you don't have the experiential knowledge of mm-hmm. what a star is you've been told your exactly. whole life what a star is that's not really good you know that's like the allegory of the cave well there's nothing exactly. beyond the cave it's just shadows come back here you're crazy yeah so uh but but I think that's a good way to to live to a certain extent because it kind of frees you up. I think it frees you up to not get so boxed into one idea or it allows you to pivot when that new experiential knowledge comes to you. Like, ah. Yeah. And you'd be like, oh, I was wrong. Well, and what's wrong with right. being open to all ideas? Everything. Yeah. <laughs> Everything's wrong with it. Chad, can you really? <laughs> well, no, I mean, like, I'm joking. I'm joking. Yeah. <laughs> I'm being satirical. <laughs> yeah. Can you help me find something? There's a DARPA man who is very, very prolific. He's a genius. His name is, look up Professor Giordana Mind Control DARPA. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's good enough. That's not even probably how you spell it. Giordano? Yeah, Giordano. You, you you should look at that title. The brain is the battlefield of the yeah, future. Yeah, go to YouTube. Go to that one. If this is a, he's a bald head guy, yeah, that's him. So pause this. What a terrible intro. I highly, highly, highly times one thousand recommend people watch this. The gentleman in this video is a contracted military operative. He's, oh, I remember he's this. He's a genius, and he's a cold-blooded guy. You can tell by the look in his face. I think that I can see a person when I look at them. I see a person who is extremely calculated. This is my point. He explains how the mind... <laughs> oh, this is so crazy what he's saying. That we have been using for years technology that can put nanoparticles in your brain and turn off feelings using electromagnetic radiation. And they've been doing it for a long time. And that he announced here, 2018, that 
the governments are looking into technologies to do this on an international level, cross borders. Notice that two years later we have what happened two years later. We know what happened. Or I could assemble very small quantities of this that would then allow a specific intervention characteristically in a place that would not allow such an intervention. Think of the use of a derivative of VX in an airport. But I could do more than that. I could also incur much broader type of ripple effects. And one of the ways I could also do that is with what's called high morbidity neuromicrobiologic agents. It's a real fancy way of saying neurobugs. But high morbidity neurobugs. I may not want to kill a lot of people. In fact, arguably, I may assume what is sometimes referred to as the Sailor Malin mantra. For those of you who may be fans or students of military history, you may remember that Sailor Malin, Wing Commander Sailor Malin, was a South African who flew with the Royal Air Force during the Second World War. And he became well known during the Battle of Britain for shooting up German airplanes, but letting them limp home, particularly bomber aircraft. And they would ask Seller Malin, oh, Wing Commander, why didn't you shoot that plane down? And his adage was simple. Better to have that plane return home with wounded crew who are spitting up their lungs, one dead crewman that they had to attend to and therefore divert their missional capability while in flight, than shoot them down because the psychological effect will be rippling and devastating. This is sometimes referred to as the Malin effect. So I, I want to go back to the question is, how do we defend ourselves? How do we fight it? How do we break through deception? Because I do believe that on a very elemental level, at least in this realm, there is a sort of a good and evil battle. And that, that can be relativistic, I understand. But in general, what we have is people that want us to go away, and then we want to flourish. So we want to flourish. How are we going to do that? Because this is technology that is so messed up powerful that we could right now, this instance, be under the influence of this technology and not even be aware of it, like the movie They Live by John Carpenter. That's a great movie. How do we do it, man? So, you know, there is a book called Saharasia that was um, James DeMeo wrote it. And James DeMeo was one of the last people at a university who was studying the, um, trying to seriously study the theories of Wilhelm Reich. Mm. You know, has the theory of the orgone and stuff like that. But so what he did in Saharasia is he went and he studied like all of these like different like cultures, like over time and, and cross-referenced like different qualities that they have. And what he found is that all of these cultures that um, were more um, wa more warlike and coercive and, and, and brutal and stuff like that all had cultural practices that, um, you know, stuff like, um, you know, uh, circumcision, swaddling of infants, you know, from an early age, cranial deformation, which they did mm. to like, you know, mm. you know, make you look like a better warrior when you grow up. And this goes into all this kind of stuff that, you know, in the Catholic Church and, and you know, how, how, how uh, children are raised. And all these things, what all these things do is they destroy feeling. They destroy our capacity to have feelings. Mm -hmm. And that's the part of us that when we grow up like in, as incomplete beings, we're like Neo in the Matrix, I mean, what does he look like? I mean, that's what they're saying about him before he finds the Matrix and everything. He's got to a point in his life where he has no feeling for anything. He doesn't feel anything anymore, and he doesn't care about anything anymore. 
So when you show me this, I'm like, oh, this is just the next step. That's just the next step. And that's the same thing. That's the target. That's, the, that's, that's something that's always targeted is, is feeling. Totally. And what we, like all these different uh, ways we're talking about, when you go back to the origins of the ways, it's about bringing back in feeling. And I mean, you get understanding your feeling very well, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, everything like, like you know, the the, the gospels. He, well, he talks about love a lot. He talks about feeling a lot. You know, Buddha and and, and uh, you know Lao Tzu. They're all talking about about feeling, not emotion. We want to say emotion, but it's like when emotion that you know becomes like feeling. You know, yeah, yeah. that's what we're trying to get within us. Like, I don't like this. Why don't I like this? Or like, my, I get heebie-jeebies from this. What, what is that? Or I'm feeling down right now. Why am I feeling down? There's a floating anxiety. Mm-hmm. And I don't understand where it's coming from. But if I could, I could be more relaxed right now. I could be more focused right now. Or I could be more loving right now. Is that making sense, what I'm saying? Yeah. The awareness of the feeling. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, and just to relate this to music a little bit, uh, in the classical music world, especially in the classical music world, a lot of people take beta blockers in order to, whether if it's before a big audition or a huge performance, they'll take that in order to quell the natural anxiety that's in them, just about going on stage, soloing, whatever. And it'll quell the physical effects of anxiety, the shaking, blah, 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 blah. Not really mental. Not super mental, but that's one part of this. And then the other thing is that I personally feel like maybe sometimes it's good to have a little bit of anxiety, especially for something like a musical performance. Because if you were feeling so dead or if your feelings were completely muted, you're not going to have this little spark of fire that's in you. Oh, yeah, no, you need that adrenaline. And so, that so that's another big problem is that, is that the pharmaceutical industry yeah. is shooting people up or you're giving them pills, right? Pills, yeah. pills to take away feeling, mm-hmm. basically. Yeah. I know there's someone that they're going to have a, there's a more technical explanation for it. But to me, that's what I see is that people are losing their feeling. And, totally. and, and, and you have anxiety about stuff that's going on in the world. Well, you're supposed to have anxiety. Right. You should have anxiety about what's going on in the right. world right yeah. now. There's nothing yeah. unnatural about that at all. <laughs> right, right. You should have some anxiety and learning to deal with that anxiety. That's, that's part of the work. This is, where you, this is where you learn the trick. This is where it becomes initiation mm-hmm. is when you pull that inside. When you start to bring that inside and consume that and look at what, you know. Becoming and, an you know, alchemist. I'll tell a quote. Right, oh. inner, inner, inner alchemy. Um, there's a book called uh, Secret of the Golden Flower that I've been reading a lot. Um, I'm, actually, I'm, I'm working on a, a, my next book is going to be uh, dealing with this. Um, idea, but there's something in there that they call the backward flowing method, which is a method of meditation, which if you're familiar with Kundalini, right, it gets into that awakening, awakening Kundalini kind of thing. But this idea of backward flowing method is like, well, instead of like looking out, so I'm looking out in the world and I'm distracted and I'm getting pulled into all, you get pulled into all this shit in the world. So you have to learn how to not get pulled into it, mm-hmm. and then bring my attention back. Our attention is being stolen from us. Right. Yeah. It's been right. going on for aeons. 
that now it's like it's like the they're fighting harder than yeah. ever to get our attention from it with the internet and our phones and there's you know mm-hmm. seriously I mean people like under a certain age they like spend like most of their time down here yeah. with their attention being like you know taken away from them mm-hmm. and we need to fight to bring our attention back to take our attention back and mm-hmm. and 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 bring it back inside because when we bring the attention back inside in a conscientious manner then something then something starts to change right and something starts to change within us and that is what can help us survive all of this shit if anything you know um it's not gonna hurt something begins to change (laughs) not the least of which is the weird realization that you're on a prison planet (laughs) although i do love these hydraulic presses crushing fruit and video have you ever seen these uh-uh. probably 20 hours this week just hydraulic presses crushing stuff facebook reels 24 <laughs> oh, yeah. 7 you know we can have like you know inventions and technology that's not the problem right, right yeah that's not the bad thing that stuff is great i mean there was like a period of uh you know uh, i don't know 100 or so years in 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 america and the west where there was like incredible entrepreneur entrepreneurialism Government was like like at a minimum, you know, mm-hmm. and and my God, we have then from that we got electricity and cars and all this great shit that is is great, um, you know, you know, you talk about technology, talk about the Gutenberg press. I mean, before that, for like thousands of years, no one could even read, mm-hmm. you know. Now we have a population where literacy is like everywhere. That's that's a wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. It's just that something something you know whatever the technology was whatever's out there whatever's there something gets taken by this force the druge the lie something gets like abracadabra stuff going on right no there is ryan did you say that you were you had a story that you were going to say a second ago i was just going to talk about uh kind of relating to what we were just talking about in my early 20s 21, 22, I was having like super, super bad anxiety to the point where I got a mild case of agoraphobia uh, where you can't leave the house. Oh, okay. And um, like it was bad. You'll and it came out of nowhere to... for no reason. I couldn't figure out what was going on. Mm. They sent me to a psychotherapist uh, and he prescribed me um, Xanax. Mm. And nice. I was like, chiller. No. You know, and he was like, you know, why? And I was like, well, I I don't, I don't want this, dude. Like, this is, to me, this is a a blanket, not a solution. You know, and so he was like, okay, look, uh, I'm going to teach you this breathing exercise. Wow! And this is way before I got into anything (laughs) spiritual. Yeah, breathing. Yeah. This is way before I got into anything spiritual at all. I didn't. I'd never meditated in my whole life at this point. And uh, he said, "Okay, like, you know, he showed me how to breathe. He was like, breathe in with the lungs, fill your stomach up, breathe out, you know, let it go in the, re- you know, breathe, fill your stomach up first, then fill your lungs up. Mm-hmm. When you mm-hmm. breathe out, go in reverse. Breathe in, method. breathe in through your nose, breathe out through your mouth, you know. And then he was like, you know." Um, Breathe in for a count of four, hold your breath for a count of four, breathe out for the count of four, hold your breath for the count of four, repeat, right? Mm-hmm. And he like sat there with me and like had me do it until he was like, okay, you're doing it right. Now, when you start to feel anxiety come on, 
you know, he was like, it's going to be hard at first. Like, you might have to be alone to do this, but you'll get to the point where if you practice this enough that you could fight off an, an anxiety attack in a building with hundreds of people in it by using this technique. Mm. And sure enough, within a couple months, I was kind of blown away because I stopped taking all medications and I was able to like do this at any time in a building full of people, in a car. And what's crazy is years later, once I got involved with the Golden Dawn, I realized that that exact technique is one of the techniques that they teach you immediately. Wow. And it's called the fourfold breath. But it's like, yeah, you know, through these, if, like Armin was saying, like, what can we do to fight this, right? I think it's a combination of being aware, not denying physical reality, mm -hmm. and cultivating spirit. Like, if you're doing those three things, you're going to be fine. Mm -hmm. And you're going to grow. And in my opinion, if anything bad does happen to you, you shouldn't see it as bad. You should see no. it as a test. That oh, and that's what we've been doing yeah. for the past, especially in the past year. And if you live your life like that, man, you're gold. You know. See, and going back to what we were talking about earlier, especially with the legal stuff, that would give me some serious anxiety. More because it's just like my all my finances are on the line. That's my big thing. I don't really, it's just like, will I be able, will this become such a big problem that I'm going to like really mess some stuff up? And during that, I was like, you know what? I'm not even going to worry about it. I, I know that the path has me, whatever it might be, even if it's really bad. And then also actually what we talked about in the last podcast too, just be here now. Just mm -hmm. fill out the discovery. Just work on it. Don't even think about the future. Or just anything that happens, I feel like whatever something happened a couple of weeks ago, or like it's just a test, whatever. I was speaking to a, a friend of ours who works at NASA, a major project, and I, it appears that he has recently had an awakening of sort. So he's asking me a million different questions, and I'm telling him what you just said moments ago is it's very important going through all this information to hone in something that cannot exactly be explained, which is discernment. Which is a combination of your reductionist mind, but your higher mind, too, and your instinct, that, and maybe even your epigenetics, the history of all your experiences in your DNA. That's telling you, oh, wait, this isn't right. This, this sounds really good right now, but I can just tell, even though no one else can, that it's not right. Mm. That's, very, that's a... That's a high form of, of cognition. I had a point to this. I had a point to this. But see, to me and perhaps to you guys, when you look at a, a new story on the internet, more than likely within a fraction of a second, you guys can probably tell, ah, there's an angle to this. There's clearly an angle to it this. It depends. So I was talking, uh, this is good. So uh, at lunch today, I was with uh, my other friend who I was telling you guys we need to get on the podcast soon. But we were having a in-depth conversation, and I was like, did you guys see, I don't even know if I should talk about this. Did you see the video that came out last night? Of uh, if it's last night, probably not. Tucker Carlson interviewing this guy who yeah. had a relationship with Barack Obama. Yes, yes, but that's an old story. Yes. Yeah. So I didn't know anything oh, about, this, about this, and I saw some clips, and so like you're talking about <clears throat> discernment, right? I I didn't know anything about this, and my first impression was like, man, this is crazy. 
Yeah. Like this is too crazy. This is too much like like wrestler propaganda. You know what I mean? Yeah. To where it's like, oh, you got with my wife, brother, and I'm going to mess you up in the ring. You know what I mean? I was like, this is too over the top. But then I actually watched it, like all 42 minutes of it or whatever it was last night. And after I watched it, I was like, I changed my mind. I was like, I don't know if this is real or not now, but I think it's more real than not now. But that's what I mean. The five-minute clips I saw, I was like, this is ridiculous. But after I watched the whole thing, I was like, maybe it's not so ridiculous. Mm. And that's what I mean. It's like, I think a lot of this stuff is like, you've got to like, it's like the the girl that we were talking about that did the podcast with you guys that was like the full-on Church of Satan chick. Mm -hmm. And you know how I was like, you know, I can't pass judgment on what I even think about that person until we sit down and have at least a two or three hour long conversation. Right. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. We were talking about somebody else on the last podcast where I said the same thing, where I was like, oh, uh, uh, what's her name? Marina. Um, yeah. Where I was oh, like, yeah. you know, I mean, I have opinions, but I'd really like to sit down and have a right. hour or two conversation with her. Yeah. That'll never happen. But it's like, but then I could make that decision. I think it also implies what you're saying implies that, yeah, sure, your discernment, you might have it, but you need to collect information. Yeah. So you have multiple vectors for your discernment to use. Yeah. And I have to get enough information to make an ultimate decision. Definitely. You know? And with all that being said, unfortunately, we're going to have to put a put a ribbon on it. Oh. Definitely going to need a part two. Let, him, let uh, our guests have some closing statements. Yeah, Paul, feel free to have some closing statements and also just say, you know, where people can find you. We'll link it for sure, but... Oh, right promote. on. Yeah, so, so you can find uh, Damonosophy podcast. You can search for that on uh, YouTube. Uh, look it up on, you know, podcast carriers um, and um, Twitter at Damonosophy. Um, I'm also called Paul Frederick on, on, on those forums. So, uh, people can find me there. Um, is that how they find your music too? So my, no, my music is, uh, is, is, is under Asmodeus X. Um, so search the same thing, search, uh, there's a, you know, there's Instagram and, and, uh, some YouTube, uh, YouTube for that. Um, so yeah, so all that stuff is out there. Um, I'm, uh, I, 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 I was just in a, in a film with a guy named Danny Stygian called the Goetia Diaries, oh, where man. I play a, uh, I, I play an, an occultist who does a podcast. <laughs> I know a real nice. stretch or meta. It's a real stretch, but the Goetia Diaries, uh, you know, you can look that up online and I'm talking to, uh, him about, um, uh, an, another film coming out shortly that like, um, is going to illustrate some of the other themes that we've been talking about here today. The ideas of daemonosophy, the ideas of self transformation, um, and, and these ideas in this, uh, secret of the golden flower book. Um, so yeah. How do they find your books? So f- find my books by, um, <clears throat> I need to put them up on the uh, daemon. There's a daemonosophy.com. And so the links um, are on there um, so they can find them there. My last book I wrote is called The Nebu Generator. Um, and so you can search for that and find it. They're on, they're on Amazon. 
And we'll definitely be linking a lot of this in the description of the videos. So if you're watching this, definitely check, check out Paul's work. We will for sure. And Paul, thank you for being here, especially Ryan. Thank you so much. It's always a pleasure and we always need more. Willie, thank you for being here. And this has been Houston Ensemble podcast number 79. We're back in the deep swing. So be on the lookout, subscribe to the channel. We'd love for you to do that. Like the video, that helps it a lot. And uh, if you want an epic water filter, if you want to get the fluoride out of your water that's dumbing you down, go to epicwaterfilters.com. Use promo code Houston Ensemble, one word, all lowercase Houston Ensemble for 20% off. Anyway, thank you guys so much. We'll see you next time. Thank you, appreciate it. Awesome.